G'day, I'm Gary Eastman. Welcome to the REACH Australia podcast. REACH Australia's vision is to see thousands of healthy, multiplying and evangelistic churches right across Australia as we seek to reach Australia for Christ. Central to God's plans for His church is preaching, preaching the Word of God. And we're spending time in this series talking to preachers at different stages of their ministry uh, about the way they approach preaching, their preparation, their craft in the pulpit, and it's my pleasure to be able to welcome a fellow at a certain stage of his ministry, Al Stewart. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. It's, nice to be here. Uh, good to have you uh, speaking to us today. Uh, Al, you've been kicking around the traps for a while. What's your current role? Uh, I work for the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. And what is that? That is the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. So it's a snappy name. Descriptive. Uh, I explain to people... Uh, so if the Anglicans were uh, Coles and the Presbyterians were Woolworths, uh, we're IGA. <laughs> That's, uh, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the humble servant of those 55 churches around the country. Almost like you're a bishop. Um, <laughs> I'll let that one go through to the keeper. Right. So I, I'm, uh, I, yeah, I try and look out for the pastors, work out how we can work together. I work with a couple of very capable guys, Dean Ingham and Bruce Bennett and Jim Ramsey, etc. Yeah. And Ruth Chief. So, yeah, we've got a great little team. Fantastic. And doing great work as well. Um, Al, you've been preaching for a long time, uh, been used by God, I know, uh, to impact many, many people over the years. But we all started somewhere. Can you remember back to your yeah. earliest attempts at Bible Talks? Uh, 1983, so almost 40 years ago. Yeah. And I was a ministry trainee and they had us on a Sunday morning at a little branch church in Bondi Junction. Mill Hill Road, and uh, Graham Cole was a Moore College lecturer who was there. He was the grown-up, right? And uh, I think I gave a talk on the Lord's Prayer, and it would have been to three or four little old ladies who came along to the the branch church there. Yeah. And uh, Graham was very gentle and encouraging. In right. Okay. So yeah. Fancy that your first talk with Graham Cole. Yeah. 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 Um, no, yeah. It, was, it, it was really good. Yeah. yeah. Little side. Oh, the talk wasn't great, but he was really you know encouraging and. Careful in his critique. <laughs> Some, something to saw, saw something to nurture and yep. uh, and, and protect. I think them. I said everything I knew, and it took eight minutes. You know, <laughs> right? I, I thought you were going to say eighty. Uh, there you go. That's a bit of a common theme: saying everything we know in a text. So maybe that's something we'll pick that's up right. as that's uh, we part go of the problem. Today. Yep. Yeah. Uh, now, Al, you've done a lot of itinerant guest type preaching around the place over the years. So. Yes. Uh, maybe haven't done so much program setting, but you're going into settings where you're not the regular guy and doing a talk you've done before. Well, oh, well I, had, like? I had 13 years of, of pastoring regular churches. So yeah. three years at Mount Druitt and then 10 years at the Bible Talks um, mm. with Matthias uh, associated with the uni. So yeah. well, 13 years of it, yeah. yeah. And I know setting up a program in advance, if you're the, the regular preacher, mm. um, I'd say it's essential. Mm. Um, for all sorts of reasons, you want you want people to get a, a regular diet of the Bible. You you if you set a program in advance, you're less likely to preach your hobby horses. Yeah. Um, you need a mixture of Old Testament, New Testament, Gospels. You need some um, systematic topics, mm. uh, some kind of topical issues. Yeah, yeah. So you you set your program ideally for the year, mm. and then you can get about longer term, higher level preparation as well. Yeah, what's that sort of preparation look like for you? Um, 
well, then I'd say, you know, you're going to preach on the book of Philippians or whatever it is, the opportunity to actually read the introductions to your commentaries and look at the, the background and get the big picture mm. of, um, uh, of that particular book, etc. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm doing more itinerant stuff now, mm. um, which is a mixture of, yeah, you've got a pre-prepared talk that works okay, or what keeps me honest is when guys say, yeah, we're in the middle of um, yeah, yeah. preaching on... One John, and you've got chapter two, verse whatever. Yeah. So that's um, uh, it's more work, but it's probably good for me. Yeah. What's the challenge? Do you reckon of being the itinerant guy who's bringing out a talk that you've really got under wraps, and uh, you know you're just reheating it each time? Yeah. Yeah. The reheating. It's it's really that you don't know the people you're speaking to mm. as well as you should. Mm. So one of the things I'd push young pastors to do is to know your people. Mm. Um, and uh, now you, you know, get a pretty good guess where you're going and what the issues are, mm. and they're all people. But it's knowing your people well yeah. is, uh, I think, is the key to great preaching week by week. That's or one a, of the key things. Yeah, that's been a theme really helpfully going through this series um, is highlighting that distinction between uh, lecturing, just conveying information. Mm. Uh, there is something deeply relational and pastoral going on as you preach. So knowing people. In front of you, yeah, you're pastoring all your all your people. I know when yeah. I I did um, uh, City Bible Forum for years, lunchtime Bible talks. Mm. One of the big things was sitting down having a cup of coffee or a meal with people with the city workers mm. at all different stages, and just knowing what are what are they coping with in the workplace mm. day by day. That that makes a huge difference when you're coming to apply the Bible to help you know speak to the believer or the unbeliever, mm. etc. Yeah. Right, take us into uh, the Al Stewart preparation process. Let's say, let's say you're starting cold. Yep. So one of these young blokes has asked you to preach on something that you haven't done mm -hmm. uh, before or in recent yep. times, so you're doing a talk, uh, go to woe. Um, yep. Tell us about your process, the tools you're using, and when you start, Saturday night. Uh, yeah, eight days before. Yeah. Uh, now, well, ideally, you've allocated the preparation time in your diary, mm. um, and also that time should reflect when your brain actually works. Mm. So my brain works from early morning, well, more, as good as it does anyway, from yeah. uh, early morning to lunchtime. Mm. After that, well, you know, you kind of do your... So yeah. I need to allocate morning time. So the first thing I'll do is to work out uh, what is it that I'm preaching on, and then uh, I use the accordance program mm. that's you know the bible software yeah. uh, if it's uh, new testament i'll print out the bible passage in english and or actually greek on the left hand side and uh, english an english translation on the right mm. uh, i can say something about translations later but uh, then i'll um, work through and translate the passage mm. now it's 35 years since bible college um as I translate it with accordance, mm. I just think, oh, where were you in the 80s, baby? <laughs> anyway, um, so I'll translate that. If it's Old Testament, I must confess I don't have Hebrew, mm. so I've got to work the commentaries mm. to look carefully at that. So I'll, so you, you print it out and you translate it. Uh, part of the, the beauty of the translation thing is, yeah, sure, the Greek opens up new insights, and it does, and it's worth doing that. But it makes you crawl verse by verse through mm. the whole thing. You're spending an hour or two verse by verse, yeah. and and it it makes you 
crawl over it like with a microscope. Yeah. And that's, that's really good for you to do that. It's almost yeah. a form of meditation on the text. Yes. Which scripture calls yeah. us to, doesn't it? And the works, it. first of all, on the preacher, hopefully. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then you're looking at, you know, what, what's the NIV done or the ESV or how have they translated this? Mm. I printed out on an A4 sheets and even sticky tape it together so you've got like three sheets side by side, however mm. it is. Big margins because the next thing that happens is, okay, you translate it, you've got the, you've done kind of the technical thing, uh, then commentaries mm. and um, I'll read. I've got, you can kind of work out which are the best commentaries. Uh, read your commentaries and make notes in mm. both margins, Greek text, English text. Mm. Uh, if you're if Old Testament for me, I'm working on the commentaries and you know Hebrew words, but I have, unfortunately I have to rely on mm. uh, the commentaries. And then that, in some ways, that's your what would I call it? That's the science of the whole thing. Mm. I now understand the text, uh, <clears throat> what it what it's saying. Uh, you look look wider into the context of the book, etc. Mm. I understand that. Then, um, and I'll read the commentaries until they all start saying the same thing. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> what do you find? One or two or six commentaries? Like what? Did... Well, usually I, I got a fair idea which ones will be most useful. Mm. So, you know, you might read two or three, mm. and then on some books of the Bible, I might have five or six commentaries. Mm. But, you read the right two or three and then skim the other couple. Yeah. Okay. Um, Check them on particular issues. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, or, or there's there's also different feels of the... Um, Dale Ralph Davis, if you can get anything on him on the Old Testament, mm -hmm. he won't drill down in particular words. It's, he does a bit, but he'll just show you the narrative and how, how the flow of it and mm -hmm. the big picture and they're, they're just gold. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, there's other commentaries that are so busy telling you the meaning of individual words they don't get the big picture. Yeah. So you get it. So there's uh, something there, isn't it? Knowing your tools. Yeah. 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 Knowing your tools I mean, and, I, and which ones will do what for you. Yep, and yeah. Yep. Ironically, the, those little Tyndale commentaries as a set, hmm. they're great. Old Testament. They're just really good commentaries. Um, I've, I've got them in my accordance. And, yeah. And, and just as but my you, default, that, that's yep. one of the only commentary sets that I own the whole set. Yeah, that's it. Yep, yeah. that's what, yeah. well. Actually, yeah, I hadn't thought of. But I've got got them on paper, but accordance is great. Mm. Don Carson has put out a guide to New Testament commentaries, mm. so he will tell you what's good, and if you can get hold of that, that can mm. save you a lot of money in terms of buying. Yeah. yeah. Now, the young guys might want to buy all this stuff online. I still like paper because yeah. the battery never goes flat in a book. But right. anyway, that's just me. So commentaries, yes, and then you've got your notes. Uh, and then, by the way, hang on to that because if you come back to preach on it again in a year, two years, ten years, you've still got all those notes. Yes. Okay. Now, there's something, let me just take you to that because uh, we do live in the electronic age. You know, guys with lovely setups, you know, the laptops here, the extended screens here, but you're yep. still printing out and annotating by hand. Uh, yep. You, you've got me. accordance. Oh, yeah, I'm an old man. I like... I like paper, I like it, it's real, and then it, everything's in front of me on a couple of, uh, depending on the length of the passage, maybe three pages, everything's there. Yes. And I know, okay, then what I call it, that's the science of it. Mm. Okay, so that's your preparation. Then, um, and I'll generally do that one day and get that done. Mm. Then is the time to think think about, the reason you need to do that early, you've got to have time to let it uh, percolate. Yeah. You've got to have time to think about it. 
Mm. Um, walk around and, and think about it, you know, go for a run or in the shower or whatever it is. The next day when you come back, you're thinking, okay, how do I explain what, what, is it on, what is it that I want to take to people who are listening? What change do I want in them? How do I... Uh, Hayden Robinson's book, The Preparation of Expository Sermons, is, is great. Mm. He says, until you can sum up what you want to say in a sentence, you haven't done your job. Mm. Okay. And I can tell when a talk works, it's because I could say it in a sentence. Um, I've, I've thrown the audience a football and they could catch it. When it hasn't worked, usually it's a bucket full of golf balls, yeah, and, and no one catches anything. All good, but if they don't catch, all good, it, but the they yeah. didn't. They, they don't walk away with anything in their yeah. hand. Right? Yeah. So you you want? Um, can I? What is it that I want people to understand? And and I think you actually you're preaching for change. Mm. You're preaching to want people to change, and that is to change how they think, how they see God, what's their worldview, how they their priorities, etc. Yes. Change. Now, I think we're going to spend a bit more time thinking about mm -hmm. that, but that's as distinct from simply imparting information. Sure. Yeah. 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 That's Which right. is where it's some of our sermons pull up on just the imparting of information. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. So uh, we're going to come back to that, but you've done that work of sort of exegeting the text, thinking through where's this really going to land with people and push them. Um, if you like, speak yep. to their heart, transformation. Yep. Um, well, tell you, us I, about taking that to a full I, text. Ideally, you want to be able to say, what am I going to say? And then what am I going to say about it? Okay. Okay. Now, the full text, what, your structure is really important because it's your structure that helps people to keep track of what you're saying and to be able to take it away. It's like the roof rack on a car. Yep. Okay. Now, I know we've all heard talks that went for half an hour, a great, you know, listen, and at the end you say, what did he say? Mm. And you couldn't actually say, oh, well, he said, um, uh, I don't know. Yeah. That's because the structure wasn't there. Mm. Now, the structure will depend, though, on the, on the I think I can, on the genre, on, on the kind of literature. Yeah. Okay? If you're preaching Old Testament narrative or a parable, okay, you've got stories. Let the story tell, be the structure. Yeah. Okay. If you if you try and systematize a story, you've murdered it. Okay. So you want you want a story to be the, the structure, and what you're aiming to do is to just, if you like, tweak the color knobs so they can see the beauty of the story. Yeah. And then at the end of it, you're saying, okay, well, what does this mean? Hmm. If you're preaching, say the um, <clears throat> the epistles, then the connecting words become the therefores and the howevers and the the, you know, there's a different structure. What's the logic of the flow that Peter or Paul or James are, are saying? Mm. Right? So you may, maybe then it's more systematic. Mm. So your structure will de determine, the, the, the genre will determine the kind of structure that you've got and also how and when you put application in. Maybe it's step by step, maybe it's at the end, mm. etc. Yeah, okay. not always just at the end. No, that's right. Yeah, you that's want to right. take your opportunities on the yeah. way through, depending on what's there. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so you've worked out your structure. Now, um, what I'll try and do is to actually take the text and drop it onto my notes mm. so that I'm actually, I'm actually reading the text in the talk and saying to people, look at the text. Yes. Okay. So you hear some sermons that kind of fl you know, fly around above the text and never actually land. Mm. We've got to not just say what the Bible says, but show that it says it. Yes. 
Okay. Um, now, maybe grab that now rather than uh, when we get to your mm -hmm. delivery. So you're, you work hard to say to people things like, have a look with me and... Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Have a look at verse whatever. Yeah. Um, and I... <laughs> Because it's uh, easier I, to assume that. You think people are just going to track with you and yeah, look themselves. Um, no, nah, they're yeah. wandering around. Hey, a bird. You know, yeah. like they've just got to... Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, ideally... Uh, well, where was I the other day? Oh, the Church of the Risen King, Grant Borg's church. Mm. Right? Grant Borg's the pastor. It's not his church. Yeah. It's Jesus' church. Where Grant's the pastor, <laughs> out the Church of the Risen King, mm. they hand out Bibles to people if you don't have one, a yeah. paper Bible. And people have the Bible open, and as you say, have a look at verse whatever, you see all the heads go down. Yeah. And they look, and then they look up again. Yeah. And that, yeah. It's a good you know, sign. That you think, oh, yeah, this is yeah. great. We're, really, we're getting traction here. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It's great. Yeah. So you put the text in, and then um, generally I'll print out the text again one more time on one page and then work out a structure. Mm. Okay, so what you, and actually write it in. You put your, your text, your structure in, and then you start... Um, build, building the notes that you're going to speak from like, like a skeleton mm. uh, to a body. Yes. So you've got the structures, the bones, and then you're going to put in the muscles, and then you're going to finally the skin. Yeah. And I'm going through it from beginning to end again and again. I'm not writing it. I'm not starting at A and finishing at Z. I'm going again and again through it yes. to get the flow. And then I might say, oh, I want to tell a story about you know, my dog. So I'll just write in dog. I wanted to fill in the whole story there. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you know, that's how you're slowly building it up. Something very significant there, I think, because uh, a lot of young preachers, you get to that pressure point and you think you're going to relieve pressure on yourself by getting words on a page. You just want to see that word count go up. Mm -hmm. And so you just start smashing words down. And actually what you need to do is that structure work and working out where yep. it's all going to go. Yep. That's right. yeah. You want to think yeah. through the the logic of how am I going to take these people with me Yes. Right, as we as we go on this journey together. What does it mean to take people with you? Like, Just tell us a bit more in terms of logic and expressing that, taking people with you. What does that mean, putting that in a structure? Um, don't assume because people are sitting there that they're ready and keen to listen to you. They may be, mm, yeah. but really you, you've got to get their attention. Mm. So your introduction needs to be Okay, why are you going to listen to me for the next 20 or 30 minutes? Mm. Um, what, is it that's, what is the problem we're going to solve? What is the question here? What is the issue? Why, why, is, this, why is this interesting? Why will I pay attention? Mm. And then you're going to walk them through and show how, how is it that, that this part of the Bible addresses this particular problem or mm. issue or calls us to act differently, etc. Mm. Okay, So we, we're going to go on a journey. So when we get to the end... I. I've shown that I've answered whatever it is that that was raised, mm. or at least pushed you in that direction. Yeah. Right? So that that's the idea of it. We're, we're going to go somewhere together. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's excellent. Okay. Um, do you do you preach from a complete text, or you just bullet points, or what are you uh, uh, some somewhere in the middle? Um, uh, I, I generally push guys to not have full sentences. And certainly mm. not have full paragraphs. Right. For a few reasons. One is if you've got proper paragraphs, say five or six line paragraphs, very hard to have good eye contact mm. because you're worried. You look up and then you're worried about finding your place again yeah. okay, if you're working on a full, on a full script. Mm. But the main reason is 
that I, that I say don't have full sentences is because the written word and the spoken word are different. Yeah. Okay. The written word, if you're doing it right, is much smoother and um, much more complete. Each sentence makes sense. Uh, mm. You've got delivery of... You know, it's all kind of 21 degrees air conditioned in terms of, you know. Um, and I can use, I can often tell when a preacher goes, when a preacher starts reading text. Yes. Right? It's because I'm, I start to fall asleep. Yeah. The spoken word is raggedy. Uh, you, you have sentences that you don't finish. Um, you and you have to go back and start again. Yep. You know, you drive yourself into a cul-de-sac and then you yep. wonder, how am I going to get it? And, yep. and it's that very immediacy and raggediness, if that's such a word, you can tell I'm doing it now, yeah. um, that, that makes people want to listen because mm. this is a live event. Yeah. Okay. So there are some guys who can work from a full script and you can't tell and it's not boring. Mm. So Ray Galea can do it. I don't, doesn't seem like Ray's working from a full script, and yet he is. Mm. Um, Andrew Heard, full script, and, yeah. and uh, but for most, for mere mortals, yeah. <laughs> okay, including me, I don't want a full script. Now I will have th- maybe three quarters of a sentence, yeah, okay, and never more than two lines. Well, in fact, I, don't, I just don't have paragraphs. Yeah, right. right. Now, now because I'm an old man, I'm you know sixty plus. I print it out in 16-point font and I put it in a plastic sleeve folder so I'm not worried about getting pages mixed up. It's in my future. I'm up to 14. So, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, well, I think mine goes to like 72. So, I'm, I'm, you know. Right. Yeah. Okay, so what, what about going back the other way, though? Do, do you ever encourage people, do you think there's some kind of ideal in um, having no notes at all? Some guys can do it, hmm. Okay. Um, and maybe you've got to do it if you're doing a Christmas carols thing in five minutes and whatever. But most people need notes. Mm. I've known one man who does brilliantly without notes, but he can only turn out like one one talk after a full, you know, fifty hours work. Yeah, right. And if you're in a normal church situation, you just haven't got the time to do that. Mm. So I think the the cost in time of memorising everything, even if you can do it, isn't worth it. And if you don't memorise it. Just the whole thing blowing out because you're fluffy. And oh you're not yeah, and you get, it gets yeah. sloppy and it's not sharp and whatever. So yeah. the compromise is let's let's have each every idea should be there, mm. and it should be enough so that you could do the same talk almost identically. Mm. Okay. Yeah. But it 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 means you've got to spontaneously form some sentences mm. and. Um, It'll 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 mean eye contact is better and that sense of urgency, etc. Yeah. Do you practice out loud? Uh, not, not anymore really. I practice right. in my head constantly. Yeah. So I see, I'm working from um, uh, from like a fifty percent script, say, mm. but I've been over it twenty or thirty times as I've written it. Yeah, because you're going I'm going skeleton again, and muscles again. and skin. Yeah, that's yep. right. Exactly. Yeah. Right down to putting, you know. Lipstick on the pig, all that sort of thing, right? You're just rebuilding it. Yeah. Um, so when I hit the print button, uh, I'm I'm really on top of it. Mm. But at the same time, what I'll do then is print it out with a two-inch, uh, eight-centimetre, whatever it is for the young ones, mm. um, left-hand margin, and then write each major topic in the margin by hand. Yeah. And, and I can pretty much preach from that. 
because I've done all the work of going through it 20 or 30 times. Yeah. yeah. Now, just, just to state a really simple point here, you cannot get to that point, all jokes, if you're starting Saturday night uh, or even no. Friday morning. No, you just can't, you can't do it. Yeah. Uh, and the reason being, you may be, if you can stay up all night, maybe you can do the science stuff, but you won't have spent three days wandering around thinking about how to apply yeah. it to your people. It'll be it'll be just vanilla. Here's the information stuff, mm. right? Um, and if you're starting a sermon, so unless there's been some world-shattering, terrible event in your life, and it's totally unusual, if you're doing that regularly, give yourself an uppercut. Mm. Just it's yeah, you're yeah. starving your people. Yeah, it's it's not the exegesis that'll suffer. It's it's the application and thinking more helpfully about introducing yep. and engaging yep. people and all yep. the rest of it. That's right. Yeah. You'll end up saying, read your Bible, tell your friends about Jesus, turn up at church, and you'll say it every week. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about sermon length. Um, we, we're going to get an excerpt from a sermon from you in a little while. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a 30-minute plus sermon. Um, you should th be there's, able a, there's a bit of a debate about this right at the moment, so you've got to put yeah. your peg in the ground. Yeah. Okay, yeah. a couple of things to say. One, yeah. If you can't hold people's attention, people who've turned up at church, if you can't hold their attention for 20 minutes, mm. you're in the wrong job. Okay. Okay? That, yeah. that, that's one. Right. Two, people should, as long as people are engaged and, yes, give me more, you can keep preaching. Yeah. So my guess is a sermon should feel like it's 20 minutes. Mm. I know some preachers who can go for 40 minutes and it feels like 20. Yeah, mm. give me more. Yeah. And there's others who go for 10 and you're thinking, you know, have I got a pencil so I can stab myself in the eye? It just uh, depends on giftedness. Yeah. Uh, but um, I think it's hard to educate and teach your people with a, what, 15-minute sermon? Come on. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, yep, longer is good, but you need to engage people. Now, there's also kind of an in, a self-indulgent preachers. You know, you go for an hour. Mm. Uh, yeah. But you watch Jordan Peterson's lectures in an auditorium and he'll speak for an hour and 45 and keep the audience attention yeah, yeah. completely. Why? Uh, content, passion, eye contact, yeah. engagement. Yeah. He sets up the question and he's starting to answer it and he's pushing. There's a lot of tension and drama yeah. in his... Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. well, let, let's talk about um, uh, engagement then. So you didn't give us a figure then, by the way. It took no position on sermon length. But uh, what, I, a sermon should feel like it's 20 minutes. But what you have said is it's so important, we should be working hard hmm. to engage people as long as we yep. can. Yep. Yeah. If I could say, I, I, uh, it's not Bible teaching if no one's listening. Okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, you can be faithful. Yeah. I'm not preaching heresy. Uh, but uh, what's the point if people aren't... Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Uh, look, if I could say, I will not be not listened to. Okay? Yeah. I, I won't accept... If, if half the audience is not listening, hmm. I'll either shut up and sit down, right? Or I'll actually call out the elephant in the room. Yeah, right. Okay? Yeah, no, no, seriously. Yeah, so I'll, go and give us an example. Well, I'll say, okay, now, did you get that point? Yeah. And then, you know, there's 50, 100 people there and, and only two or three of them nod. Yeah. I'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a few screensavers going on here. Um, did that make sense or not? Yeah. And then I say, like, only three of you nodded. Okay, well, we're going to have to go back and do that again. So we'll get, and then, or is there, did it make sense? And then you get 
50 heads nodding. Ah, that's good, okay. Yeah. And then we'll keep So it's a matter of if they're not listening, something's wrong. And it's a live event, you can address that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I'm not I'm saying 100 people, not everyone's going to be listening, but if mm. if there's more than a handful not listening, something's mm. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Uh, you've mentioned before introduction. Yeah. An introduction should raise a question, create some tension, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. That's, mm -hmm. uh, how do we do that? Well, what is it that the, you start with the passage. What is it that the, what's the issue that the passage is, is talking about and how does it engage with people's lives, whether it be their, their faith or their, their work or their family or wh where does it engage? And then, mm. okay, how can we get them actually thinking about that mm. and where does that engage with their life? Mm. I think that's the... Knowing your people's important then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when I'm in a previous job, I came up with a revolutionary piece of um, computer equipment for young ministers that would revolutionise their preaching and their ministry. It's called the off button. So <laughs> it's turn the computer off, get off your bum and get out and meet with people and right. talk to them about their lives and what mm. they're doing and understand... If they're not believers, understand their questions. If they are believers, understand their struggles and questions. And so turn the computer off, okay, and get out and meet people. Now, I think there's something in that for young preachers. It's not simply understanding day-to-day -day pragmatic issues. It's getting down to the, the level of doubts hmm. and desires That's right. and hopes. That's right. Yeah. And it's hard for the troops out there. Yeah. It is hard. Hmm. And it's also like... Um, I go to work and I'm the only Christian and what's that like and how do I, you know, mm. think, yeah, sure, there's hard things about ministry. And then there's also just plain old uh, hard things. You know, if you're commuting to work every day, mm. it's tiring. Yeah. Okay? And, and actually clergy ministers can forget that. Mm. We don't commute. We've got completely flexible hours. We, you know, those kind of... So it's just understanding even just the, what's the word, is it? The vicissitudes of hard things in life as well. I think that was the right word. Is that the word? The vicissitudes yeah, I'll back of you. life? I'll back you. Okay, anyway, well, yeah. if, that, if that's still in and the editor <laughs> hasn't cut it out, that was the right, right. word. Okay, there you go. <laughs> uh, okay, so engaging with people who are at, uh, really at the nitty-gritty of their lives, seeing what, how the text applies to where people are at. So it's yes. about what the text is saying, being faithful to it, but understanding the people in front of you as well. Yes, and being sympathetic mm. to them and their struggles, and mm. even those who aren't believers, being, if you like, sympathetic to their questions. I think yeah. that's part of it too. Okay, so this is the preaching to two, to two audiences idea. Yep. Yep. Uh, what do you say about being explicit about that and how consistently, like all the time, some of the uh, time? Yep. I, I've... I've done a lot of speaking to with people who are not Christian, mixed audience, Christian and non-Christian, and that's mm. most of what we did at City Bible Forum for years. Mm. You can take a part of the Bible, and with just a little bit of effort and tweaking, you can actually speak to the believer and the unbeliever. Mm. And that, first of all, is don't assume that everyone there is Christian already. Mm. Okay, so when you talk about the audience, you you can say those of us who are followers of Jesus. Okay, mm. assumes, hey, if you're not a Christian, you're welcome here. Yeah. Um, with older people, I say follower of Jesus rather than Christian because if you're older than me, um, 
you know, grew up in Australia, a lot of people just assume they're Christian. Yeah. Because you know, right. they're not Muslim or Hindu yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah, okay, okay, that's really helpful. Yep, so yeah. those of us who are Christian. And then the other thing is, assume the audience is intelligent but uninformed about the Bible. Hmm. Okay. So we're talking about, you know, you come to part of the New Testament that quotes Moses. Hmm. Right? Who is Moses? You know, he plays for the LA Lakers, doesn't he? <laughs> um, no. Uh, you say, now, Moses, oh, Moses was like a great prophet um, in the Old Testament about 1,400 years before Jesus. Mm. Okay, now for the believers, they go, yeah, we knew that. But the, um, the, guy, the new person think, oh, okay, right. Yeah. Or we're going to quote Psalm 8. Psalms are like um, poems or songs in the Old Testament. There's 150 mm. of them. Oh, okay, right. Okay. It's only a few seconds, but it's valuable That's to it. keep those folk engaged. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. What's the difference between Leviticus and Romans? Mm. Yeah, or Romans is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome. Mm. Bang, you know, just yeah. so you assume you're not assuming all this background knowledge that, okay. Um, and then in terms of application, you can actually say, look, if if you're a Christian, this means blah 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 blah. Mm. If you're not, if you're not there yet, or you're still thinking, that would mean da 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 da. Yeah. Okay? And so you you're treating people as intelligent but uninformed, and you can talk to the two audiences. And if you do it deliberately, probably 90% of your talk applies to both groups because you're explaining the text to them and mm. how it works. Mm. Um, it just, it's just interesting. I hear so many, particularly young guys, well, young guys, they preach and they just assume that everybody there is already Christian. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I just say, how many visitors do you get to your church? Oh, not many. I think, well, I'll tell you why. You're not... Yeah, you, why is that? So, because well, you're telling people don't bring their friends. Yeah, okay. Yeah, really, you aren't mm. you? Yeah. So, so you preach to two audiences. That's educating the people in front of you. Oh, it's an expected thing that my exactly. mate might be here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, preach to the people who are there, but also the people who aren't. Okay, huh? that's very helpfully put. Yeah, Al, uh, you hear a lot of preaching from different guys. What do you reckon are the traps? I imagine you hear sermons. Uh, that are, represent beautiful exegesis, you know, very, very hard work at the desk. Um, it's kind of finely spoken, but not well applied and not engaging. It is interesting. Helmut Thielicke's book, he's a, Helmut Thielicke was a German theologian preacher in the middle of the 20th century. I'd love to have heard him preach, but he would have preached in German. I can't speak to anyway. But, but he, his book, What's the Matter with the Church, he talks about preaching and he says, uh, paraphrasing, if your mode of delivery doesn't fit what you're actually talking about, mm. okay, not only will they be bored, but they won't believe you. Mm. All right. So um, if, you're, if, you're, if the preacher is talking about hell without a tear in his eye and pain in his heart, they won't believe you. Mm. All right? If you talk about the resurrection and you're not over the moon, you're not happy about it and it's not exciting, they won't believe you. Mm. So it's not, it's not contrived. It's being, if I could say, in your material. Yeah. It's, it's actually thinking, wait a minute, I remember John Chapman. <laughs> um, uh, John Chapman said, well, I worked for him for a year uh, in 1987 and you would give a talk and he'd listen to it on tape and then he'd critique it. And uh, most uh, of the bruises have healed now. I was going to uh, say, that would have been a brutal you, but, experience. Oh, yeah. brutal. And I yeah. remember one day he said to me, 
well, brother, do you, do you believe this? Yeah. And I said, um, uh, yeah, I, I do believe it, John. He yeah. says, well, it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> and I said, oh, I didn't want to kind of emotionally manipulate people. So there's a long way to go before that would happen. <laughs> uh, so he, he, if you, you've got to believe. Now, it's not the particular words that you say. Okay. It's about being in your material. Mm. Uh, so um, if I could tell the story, uh, we were talking earlier on about an aeroplane flight. Mm. Uh, was on an aeroplane. Um, I don't know whether it's a Saab or a Dash 8 or whatever it was, but one of these ones, one about 20 rows long, three, three seats wide and two propellers. And we're flying back from Coffs Harbour to Sydney. And I'm flying with Cathy. She was sitting in the seat in front of me. I'm there. Okay, so I cannot even remember the um, flight attendant, young woman in her 20s, I can't even remember the, the safety briefing. I'm, I think I was reading a book, you know, blah, blah, blah. She just went through the motions. Mm. Um, we took off. About 40 minutes into the flight and over Bulladila, which is all mountains, the the aeroplane actually shudders a little bit. It goes, <clears throat> I'm like, Ooh, what's that? And then I look out the right side and I'm about halfway along and the right-hand propeller had stopped. Yeah. Right? And we are a long way off the ground. It stopped. And... Um, uh, the pilot said, um, no, no, was it? Yeah, yeah, the pilot said, I've just had to shut down the engine because it was overheating, okay? And we're, we're about 40 minutes from Coffs Harbour and we're 40 minutes from Sydney. Yeah, right. And we're a long way in the air. Yeah. Then the young woman, the young flight attendant, walked forward and she gave the same safety briefing, exactly yeah. the same words. Yeah. But I tell you what, it was different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and did people listen? Oh, yeah. Now, why? All of a sudden, what she was talking about was real. Yeah. Okay, so if you preach about hell, or if you preach about the resurrection, or if you preach about repentance, or if you whatever it is, uh, it needs to be real, and they'll listen. Yeah. You know, do you know what I mean? If you're in your material, they'll, they'll listen. In your material, by that you mean, uh, I've sometimes described the first blessing of preaching is for the preacher. It's at yeah. your desk. Yeah. It's about your prayer. It's about meditating yep. on the text for yourself. Yep. So it's not manufactured. On the day, exactly. It's expressing what's true, hopefully. That's right. Of your own heart. This is real. This really matters. Let me tell you about it. Yeah. And and come with me on it. Yes. Right? And so it's that sense of urgency that you now. Oh, what do I do about my hands or what? What facial? Forget it. It'll it'll look after itself. Because right? there's a you after... version of that. Yeah, it's the yeah. you version of that. Now, yeah. I, I mean, um, and and it'll be different for different people. So Barry Webb, who was a lecturer at Moore College when I was there. In the uh, in the eighties, Barry was the quietest mm. spoken, um, mild mannered man ever, and yet a wonderful preacher. Mm. But that was Barry, and just yeah. the Barry delivery, etc. Yes. Okay. And there's others who are like me, buffheads and loud, and wave their arms around, and I, just it's you, it's different. Yeah. But are you? Do you believe what you're saying? Are you urgent about it? Mm. Right? Come with me. This is important. Yeah. Uh, tell us about some of the details of that. Things like uh, pausing, changes in cadence, use of illustrations. Uh-huh. Uh One of them, I think, I think uh, one of the mistakes that young guys make is they think they're writing a talk. You're not. You are not writing a talk. If you think you are, give yourself an uppercut. You're not doing that. You are preparing to talk to people. Right. And there's all the difference in the world. If you're giving okay. a talk, 
the audience could get up and leave and you can still give a talk. Okay. Okay. No, no, I'm talking to people. Yeah, okay. Jordan Peterson says the same thing. He can talk to individuals in the crowd. Mm. Now, sometimes I can do that, sometimes I can't. I've, mm. Usually I've got to go soft focus. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, or take my glasses off. Oh, it's the same <laughs> okay. either way for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Peterson, he'll he'll he talks about in Twelve Rules for Life. He'll say you can actually look at someone and talk to them and try and persuade them, right, for a while, and then move to someone else. And mm. then you know, if you can, so you, you're talking to people. Mm. Now, how do you do that? There's all sorts of different ways of of holding people's attention. Mm. Um, Ian Powell used to talk about it's a bit like you know if you walk into a block of uh, flats and it's all internal they've got those little white buttons you push and the mm. lights come on for mm. a few minutes yeah. and then pop out again yeah. you got to keep hitting that button of attention right okay. okay and there's different ways you can do it you can raise your voice or you can um, you can whisper to find anything get people's attention as you, you know, yeah. as you um, or um, take your glasses off yeah okay or even step around to the side of the lectern and talk to them or, mm. or whatever. Um, we need to beware of death by PowerPoint. Okay. I was going to ask you about screen. Do you, yeah. uh, a screen can be good and pictures, but mm. um, you don't want to overdo it. Yeah. I, I think I've probably overdone it. You can show the text up there, mm. um, and, and that, that's a great help. Look at this. Let's read it together. Yeah. So, some would say... They want them reading their own Bibles. Ideally, and, yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. But if if they're not going to do that, well, we'll, we'll yeah. show the text on the screen. Yeah. We'll, yeah. You know, sure. Ideally, you know, um, the Church of the Risen King, they hand out paper Bibles, yeah. and you look at good on them. It's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. And even if you're a visitor, you get a handed a Bible. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Other churches, well, you know, um, yeah. the screen. But you don't want, you don't want too much PowerPoint. Mm. There's a there's a you know death by PowerPoint thing. Now is yeah. that because now there's a death by PowerPoint thing, which is yep. you can just use PowerPoint badly yep. in and of itself. But is there something about the distinction between a lecture and a, and a sermon, uh, where PowerPoint's well, about conveying information, with sermon there's something more relational going on between the preacher. Uh, and yeah, well, PowerPoint can be useful for summarising information, that kind mm. of thing. Yeah. So um, or even a you know a, a picture or something like that, but it's just another way of conveying information. Um, using PowerPoint need not necessarily turn it into a lecture. I think yes. a lecture is just, I'm going to give you information. Mm. The sermon is, I am aiming, you come with me, and we're going to change yeah. as a result of this, I think. So uh, moving, you know, bodily posture, glasses on, glasses off, lowering your tone, slowing down, uh, all yeah. these things. In other words... Um, no matter what your tone is, not staying in that same tone the whole way. Yeah, that's right. And if, yeah. you're, if you're aware of and believing what you're saying, um, it'll, it'll happen naturally. Mm. There is one, one uh, little trick, I think, that's worth... I say to young preachers, people need to be able to hear you clearly, okay? Especially people over 60. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, the hearing's not good. <laughs> one of the things that's worth practising is this... Uh, is to slow down your rate of speech just by 5%. Mm. Um, how do you measure that? You should be able to speak each word individually. Okay? And, Which is and what you're clearly. doing now. Yes. This is an okay. example. Yeah. Right. And so they won't notice it, mm. except that they'll hear you much more clearly. Mm. 
So for me, normally, I would I'd just wrap it on like this in terms of if we're talking somewhere ordinarily, yes. But when I'm preaching, I'll slow down to this level. Hmm. Right? And, and the thing is, it's, first of all, it gives your brain more chance to form proper sentences. <laughs> okay? But it, it means that you speak much more clearly. Hmm. I don't mean affect your accent or the etc. But I don't know if you can notice that that is clearer and each word comes out separately. Sure. Okay? So that, I think that's worth, that's worth practicing. And a lot of our congregations are older. I think it'd be helpful for yep. younger members of the audience too, to be honest. But yeah, yeah. that's right. That's uh, right. Oh, the other one to watch too is don't end sentences on and up, because you make every sentence into a question, hmm. and that totally takes authority out of what you're saying. But that's <laughs> another story. Right. Okay. <laughs> Just living it here as uh, we go through. Um, I want to talk about uh, application. Uh, we've actually got an excerpt from one of your sermons. Um, recent times, I think it's at Vine Church in Surrey Hills. Uh, I am on the reserves bench there to speak, yes. So when right, Toby they, can't get anyone else, I get the call. They wheel him out occasionally. Yep. All right, let's take a listen to that, and then we're going to come back with Al and uh, discuss it for a little while. And Elijah says this, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Notice his great concern for the glory of God. It's, it's your covenant, your altars, your prophets. And I think part of the reason he's feeling so shattered is the miracles and things don't come any bigger than chapter 18. Right? You've got fire comes down from heaven, bang, and burns up everything. And, and if that hasn't changed them, what will? No, nothing. If that hasn't changed hearts and minds... And I think he's saying, thinking, we've lost. We're, we're on the wrong side of history. And I'm the only one left, or at least the only one <clears throat> standing up. The wrong side of history. And he grieves over it. Now, I wonder, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, do you, ever, do you ever grieve over our nation? Now, I know it's not a, you can't line up Old Testament Israel and Australia. Of course not. And we never have been God's nation. But we certainly started with a great Christian heritage, if you like. Opportunity to know God, Bible freely available, all of, all of those things. And yet as a nation, we're busy walking away from that knowledge. Busy cutting the foundations that we had to what built our culture. Did you notice this week, uh, the first of the information from the 2021 census, last year's census, came out. And the thing that was celebrated in the media more than anything else was that no religion as a, as a percentage has jumped up. Um, Sydney Morning Herald, abandoning God, Christianity plummets as non-religious surges in census. Woohoo! That's what it was celebrated. And where we got to now, no religion's about 39%. It has jumped significantly since 2016. Now, my guess is for a lot of you, you're saying, well, tell me about it. I'm in the middle, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm in the middle of it at work every day. Elijah thought that he was on the, I think, Elijah thought he was on the wrong side of history. And then almost 3,000 years later, in that same place, there's a group of people from a country that he could not have heard of, 
singing the praises of his God. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because eight centuries in the patience of God, eight centuries after Elijah, around Lake Galilee, a young man begins to preach and he preaches about the kingdom of God, his kingdom, and he says his kingdom will start small like a mustard seed, just a group that you can speak to without a PA, a handful of disciples, and yet one day it will fill the world and for those who trust him, it will renew creation and give them eternal life. Now, numbers don't, just because it's big numbers doesn't mean something's true, uh, but I want to talk to you about which way is history going and is, was he right about the mustard seed growing, etc. Here's some stats. You just go to Pew Research and they do kind of worldwide research on social trends, etc. Pew Research will tell you currently there's 2.2 billion people identify as Christians in the world. By 2050, that'll get to 2.9 billion. That's one in three people on the planet. Now, ticking the box in a census, say, Christian, it's reasonably meaningless because 48% of Australians still say they're Christian, etc., which is a very, very rubbery figure. So let's drill down a little bit. Rodney Stark, um, the professor that I quoted earlier in those books, put out a book, The Triumph of Faith, 2015. It's the results of worldwide Gallup poll surveys. Now, they found, similar to Pew Research, that currently there's 2.2 billion people around the planet who say, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. They drilled down further and asked, have you been in a place of worship, basically a church, in the last week? What did they find? 1.1 billion people. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's a handful of us here today, but we're one of, or part of, over a billion people that will meet to sing the praises of Jesus and hear his words. Now, where will that happen? It's not growing in the, quote, Western world, in the rich and prosperous Western world. We're busy walking away from that heritage. Where's it happening? In the global south, in South America, uh, in Asia, in, um, in Africa. Philip Jenkins, who uh, was also a professor at Baylor University in Texas, uh, wrote the book The Next Christendom. Here's what he says in an interview about it. In the global south, the areas that we often think of primarily as the third world, there are huge and growing Christian populations. Currently 480 million in Latin America, 360 million in Africa, 313 million in Asia, compared with 260 million in North America. You, you won't hear these stories in our media. They'll celebrate 39% no religion, but this growth in, in the rest of the world just doesn't, it doesn't fit the narrative. I don't think it's a conspiracy of silence, I think it's they just don't see it. What about Australia? Well, it may be that that quiet voice that controls history may, may judge our country, how? By letting us keep wandering away from God, or running away, really, from God. I hope it doesn't happen, but that may be what God decides. I hope not. It's above my pay grade. But what I can say, three quick things. One, the call to follow Jesus is even more urgent than to follow Elijah. And for you young guys, it's probably going to be a tougher gig than it was for me 40 years ago. But that's all right, you'll shine even brighter in the darkness. 
Two, the number of, I think the number of genuine, born-again followers of Jesus in Australia hasn't declined. Nominal Christianity is gone, but genuine believers, I think much the same number. Christendom, that is the assumption of the default religion being Christianity or Christianity being the chaplain to the government, I think that's gone and it may not be a bad thing. And then finally, churches, well, churches that hold to the truth, churches that teach the Bible and don't compromise, and churches where people love others and make people welcome and are prepared to change, in most places, they're not just doing okay, they're thriving. Are we on the wrong side of history? No. It's that quiet voice that controls where history's going, and we need to trust those words. Okay, we're back. Uh, Al, uh, in the midst of that sermon, we're just pulling out an excerpt. It's a shame not to mm-hmm. listen to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Now, we did talk before about use of screen and being judicious about that, but you did yep. use the screen. For those who are listening, not watching, uh, there was some statistics going up on the screen, which yep. are very helpfully presented. Yep. Uh, tell us about your reasons for going to that kind of detail. Well, the idea is... Uh you know, in the, in that passage, Elijah kind of thinks he's on the wrong side of history, and they've you know God's cause is is sinking. Hmm. Um, we're in da- we can be in danger of thinking the same thing. What hmm. I'm trying to do is to show uh, is to change people's world view to see that the narrative we get from the non-Christian media hmm. uh, and our our culture isn't true of the entire world. Hmm. In fact, I don't think it's even true here, but. Uh, I'm trying to walk them through. Now, there's a, statistics will just overwhelm people. Mm. So it took a lot of trouble to to try and show you as clearly and simply the massive numbers becoming believers in the global south and mm. some of the implications of that. Mm. So I think if you're going to present complex information in a sermon, you've got to work hard at simplifying it mm. because for people it's brand new and they've got to kind of absorb it quickly mm. so you need to work hard at making things clear and simple yeah okay um, especially if you if they're taking it in you know verbally or on a screen if you're going to read things they can be more complex what I mean is if you're giving someone an article or something to yeah read. sure yeah yeah uh, you just mentioned worldview um, yep. that's a term we hear bandied around a little bit about worldview preaching yeah uh, I they're you're trying to show people the worldview of the Bible, the way the Bible sees sees the world, and then to also be able to critique other worldviews, like in our culture, etc. Mm, yeah. And often the trouble with the worldview is it's like wearing glasses. That is, after time you forget you don't see it. Yeah. It's the way the way you actually see the world. Mm. Uh, I've learnt from Peter Jensen uh, and reading some of Tim Keller as well that if you want to critique a non-Christian worldview, you can't just belittle, belittle it or mock it from the outside. People mm. won't listen to you. Yeah. You need to actually show some some sympathy with that and stand beside it. Yes. Okay. Um, so, um, you know, uh, people wanting to, um, you know, same-sex marriage. Okay. You want to show some sympathy that it's that it, people feel like, well, it's the loving thing to do. You're treating people as individuals. You're showing them, with, okay. It, the, the, the phrase often comes up, you want to steal man it, not straw man it. Yes, present that's a, right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, present so here, here is why people would be in favour of that. Okay? Mm. 
It's when you show that, then a critique carries much more weight. And you've also treated other people with some respect. Yes. Right? Which, which is what we're called to do. So the yeah. worldview thing is, if you want to dismantle a worldview, you need to do it with respect rather than, than mock it or ridicule it. Uh, and that will be equipping people to engage with their culture and be out in the workplace through the week and... Yeah. Oh, well, uh, and there'll be people there who hold that worldview. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you're equipping other, the Christians in how to hopefully engage with those other things. Yep. Yeah. Uh, once again, you're not going to get to that kind of nuanced uh, application and, and critique and doing it helpfully uh, in a Saturday go-to-woe preparation. That's not right. Not easily anyway. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's the slow burn. Yep. Yeah. So you've got to wonder... Yeah. If you're starting on a Saturday, every you know, there's occasions of emergency. Some weeks course. blow up. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. if you're doing that every week, you wonder why. What are you doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Yeah. You know, that's that's and it's no fun sitting up all why night. Why are you doing Saturday it to yourself? Night. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And why are you doing it to your people? Yeah. That's, okay. Yeah. Mm. That's yep. uh, that's mm. Thanks. Um, what else about application do we want to hear? Well, Jim Ramsey, uh, mm. <laughs> thirty-five years ago, and I worked. Jim knew his people really well when he worked at Liverpool. Mm. Okay. Um, I still I, learned things. I was, I was one of them. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I still learned things from Jim. Jim just turned 80, so he's still teaching me things. <laughs> I have the privilege of working with him. Jim said, think through your people in all different ages, stages, men, women. So, you know, so what does this mean for Marge Hackney, who's 80-something years old, lives on her own in a bedsitter, that sort of thing. What does this mean for the young mum who feels trapped in a home with little kids and vomit? And mm. What does this mean for the kind of middle-aged man who's dealing with Groundhog Day, etc.? You know, mm. So to think through your people and their lives, because you know your people, of course, mm. and where does, this, where does this engage with their lives in different ways? Mm. So what this means for Marge, who's 80, versus a young mum versus a teenager... Mm. may be quite different. So that's a good discipline to think that through in terms of um, application. Yeah, the breadth of your people. And, yeah. yep. and yeah. give yourself time, that two or three days, to walk around. While you're doing that, you're also looking for, you know, see illustrations all the time. Like life is a sermon illustration. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, uh, that's something that's come up as uh, we've gone through. You know, we're sort of scratching around on the internet for the really... Uh, interesting story, but so often it's it's really just in the day to day of yeah. that week, right. where you'll see an illustration, and it'll be something that people have experienced themselves as well. Exactly, and yeah. illustrations date. I know sometimes you know a master preach on a particular passage, and I'll pull out a file on that passage, and I look, oh, ten years ago I did, oh, yeah, here's my notes on the commentaries. Yeah, but I'll look at the illustrations. And I think, no, that's, yeah, you can't yeah. microwave that. That's <laughs> you know, that's gone off in the fridge. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's excellent. Uh, Alice, it's been so good to have you on the podcast and to hear from you. Personally encouraging, and I'm sure encouraging uh, for those who are listening as well. We're grateful for your ministry over many years and I uh, wish you every blessing as you continue. You keep saying you're an old bloke, but hopefully a little bit of tread left on the tyres yet. <laughs> yeah, hopefully a bit of life left in the old dog. Yeah, Thanks, mate. Something like that. Thanks for joining us.